is summer. You know what that means. Sprinklers are buzzing, popsicles are melting, and the Consumed Podcast is on your speakers for that road trip you've dreamed of taking. This is the show that features conversations with eaters, thinkers, drinkers, and makers on California's Central Coast. And I am your host, Jamie Lewis. Thanks for letting me tag along. Before we start, I want to tell you a little bit about some of the sponsors of the Consumed Podcast. We all know eating fruits and veggies is an important part of staying healthy. Fresh, local produce has the most flavor and nutrition, but how do you know what's in season locally? Become part of the Tally community as a member of the Tally Farms Box Program. Tally grows their produce and partners with other California farmers to include the freshest and best-tasting local produce you can find anywhere. Farming on the Central Coast since 1948, the Tally family created the Tally Farms Box to make healthy eating easy and affordable. Here's how it works. Select which size box you want, then choose pickup or home delivery and how often you want to get your box. It's flexible for customization and vacation holds, and included in all boxes are tested recipes and storage recommendations. Come be a part of Tally's healthy lifestyle. Visit tallyfarmsbox.com and use promo code CONSUMED for $10 off your first box. That's promo code CONSUMED for $10 off. Eat fresh, eat local, and eat lots of California fruits and veggies for better health. I recently spoke with Santa Barbara County wine veteran Wes Hagen in his new capacity as brand ambassador for Ranchos de Anaveros Wines. He said the winery has started defining itself as deliberate, historic, and sublime, which if you've ever tasted Ranchos de Anaveros wines, you will understand. Owner James Onoveros planted his vineyard with his own two hands after school and on weekends while studying at Cal Poly. All he had was his belief in the Santa Maria Valley, an eight-acre patch of mineral-stripped land, and his name. Turns out that was more than enough to produce some of the most elegant Pinot Noir in California. Today, winemaker Justin Willett makes RDO's Pinot Noir, as well as elegant Santa Maria Valley Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon from the San Inez Valley. Call Wes Hagen for a private tasting with one of Wine and Spirits magazine's top 100 wineries in the world for 2021. Reach him at Wes at RanchosDeAnaveros.com or 805-450-2324. Okay, on to the episode. Josh and Lindsay Herring own The Mountain Air a shop in downtown San Luis Obispo that sells outdoor gear like skis, sleeping bags, and hiking shoes. And because it's summer, and because Josh and Lindsay have been dear friends of mine for years, I thought we could talk about eating and cooking on the trail or at the campground. Camping and backpacking food and gear have come a long way since when I was a kid, and I wanted to share the Herring's expertise with you, as well as their story, of course. The Mountain Air opened in 1975, so there's a lot to cover. And yes, we did talk about radishes, a vegetable that Josh believes shouldn't be served at Halloween parties. You'll understand why when you listen. Okay, here are my friends, Josh and Lindsay Herring from the Mountain Air in San Luis Obispo. So Josh and Lindsay Herring, who are people, I don't, I was thinking about this ahead of time. I don't know many couples who are so widely loved as you two. Jeez. 
No, I'm serious. <laughs> You're making me cry at the beginning. That's no, really, really, truly. Thank you. Um, just, and the two of you are such a team. I think people think of you often as a package deal. Um, and even more so now that Lynn's here in the shop. And how long yeah. have you been full time there? I came back to the mountain air in September, 2021. So about 18 months. And that's That's good timing also with pandemic, I think probably right. Ramping up and putting more, you probably had to ramp up your marketing more. Yeah. I think to the pandemic, I think when Josh and I bought the shop from Wayne in January, 2020, Mm -hmm. um, we had this pipe dream of working together again because that's where we met in September 2005. So the shop's always been a big part of our lives and our story, and I think we had this dream of working together again, but I think the pandemic accelerated that because of trying to work from home, uh, juggle kids, kids Zooming at home, and um, I was starting to do more and more for the business from home. And so I think the pandemic just accelerated those plans, and he was like, just make the leap, you know? Yep, Make the leap, and it's been great. It's been really great. Um, Tell me, Josh, tell me from your perspective the story of how you met. I love this story. Uh, Lindsay and I met at Mountain Air. I know the the exact location in the shop still. Like which rack were you standing at? It's currently would be where our sunglasses are towards the front of the shop. That used to be our women's clothing section. We've since moved register in the counter and cash wrap and all that down, but I just remember Lindsay walking in, and I don't even know if I noticed when you walked in, but uh, approaching a customer to talk about Patagonia underwear that we had, <laughs> that we women's Patagonia underwear, mm-hmm. which I've always I've worn Patagonia under the the men's Patagonia underwear for years, <laughs> and the women's Thanks Patagonia underwear from a technical fabric and a technical story because we are a bit technical in the shop, always yeah. seemed awesome. It seemed incredible to have this underwear. I have a Patagonia bra. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moisture Love it. wicking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no chafing, all that great stuff, quick dry, all that good stuff. So Lindsay was in looking at sports bras yeah. and Patagonia underwear that was inadvertently mismarked and put on sale by somebody and not me at some point. And, uh, <laughs> some angel. Yeah. An angel mismarked. An angel. True. That's right. So, because I had never been in the shop, I'd lived here for three years and I had never been into Mountain Air. And a friend and my roommate at the time at Cal Poly said, You have to go to Mountain Air, they have Patagonia sports bras on sale for $17. No way, yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine that $17. (laughs) Um, and I had never been, and I banked at Wells Fargo, which I think is funny too. So, I was in that lot, I was familiar with that lot, but I had never been into the shop because I wasn't an avid camper, backpacker, rock climber. Mm -hmm. You know, I always ran and hiked and rollerbladed. Grew up camping with my my family, but not at the level that would have brought me into mountain air. Not like so, bouldering no, or whatever. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it really was fateful that I can remember like getting off the Marsh Street exit and going into the shop and yeah, it was pretty instant. But know? wasn't there something about you kept the receipt? Oh yeah, for sure. I kept the receipt. And doesn't it say like, is it like an extra small or something? Oh, he, well, he upsold me for sure. Like I just <laughs> went in for one $17 sports bra and I think I spent $72 that I didn't have that day. It was on a credit card. Um, uh, he, he upsold me for sure. But we took um, immediately yeah. the energy between the two of us was there and something that I had never felt in that sort of instant energy and appreciation and wanting to get to know somebody more. Yeah. 
uh, right away. So I asked if Lindsay was looking for a job or would be interested in working in the mountain air. Hey, you looking for a job? <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and you came back in, I think the next day yep, or I met Wayne. a couple days later and met Wayne. Mm-hmm. And so Lindsay started working at the shop. And a few months later when we really started dating, mm-hmm. we decided it probably was a good idea if she stepped away from mountain air. Mm. I've never been a super huge fan of relationships and dating and mm-hmm. especially those early relationships and the yeah. potential for the drama or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. just keeping that a little. And when there's a manager, and a manager, right. Yeah. You can't yeah. date the manager. Right. And yeah. I was friends with everybody at the shop there, you know, that crew back then they were all my friends and right. yeah, it just felt le- the right thing to do. And it was, and it was, was the actually, right thing to do. It, it was hard for Wayne at the time and a couple people to understand why Lindsay was leaving because she was awesome to have really good. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Super hard worker. Great with customers. Uh-huh. Very relatable. Uh, interaction on the daily was, was great, but yeah, w- I think it was necessary. And we didn't, we didn't tell anybody right away right. That, that we were mm-hmm. dating. Right. I think that came out right. a little bit later, but, mm-hmm. but so that's. Explain who that's Wayne how. is. Uh, Wayne, so Wayne, Wayne Patterson started the Mountain Air in 1975. Mm-hmm. Mountain Air uh, was originally on Higuera Street in really? the, the location mm-hmm. that is now it's next to Wetzel's Pretzels. So it went from oh. Mountain Air to House of Bread. Mm-hmm. And then it was the flip-flop shop more yes. recently. And I'm not sure what occupies that space now. Huh. Um, and Wayne started the Mountain Air in 1975 as a Cal Poly student. Mm. And took on the business, which really our, our heritage and our roots are on the alpine ski side of mm-hmm. things. Wayne grew up in, was born in San Inez, but moved up to Washington State and grew up skiing with his mom, mm-hmm. who was actually one of the early, uh, early ski bumps who would ski with Warren Miller back in the oh, day. No so there way. was just this really strong ski mm-hmm. heritage yeah. on Wayne's, uh, in Wayne's family. So that was really where Mountain Air started in the, in the ski on the ski side of things. And then backpacking wasn't really a huge thing in the seventies. Mm-hmm. It, it really wasn't, wasn't a big deal. Uh, and then we moved to our current location in 1983. Mm-hmm. We had opened a second store, Mountain Air Sports, in 1980. Changed our name to Mountain Air Sports. Operated both stores, one here and one in Santa Barbara. Which, as a San Inez native, that kind of makes sense that he had both. But Slow was first. You're Slow saying. was first. Mm-hmm. Slow was first. And then we split uh, the company in 2013, and Mountain Air Sports still operates down on Lower State Street. Oh, it's still going. They're, yep. they're doing great. It's, they're doing uh, great. And, you know, and we're, yeah. we changed our name back to the Mountain Air, mm-hmm. the original the original name. And uh, and that's, that's kind of it. But, yeah, I mean, Wayne, knowing Wayne for over 20 years, and Wayne still, though he's – technically retired and you know he sold us the business in 2020 he's still around a ton in the winter time yeah that ski heritage is strong with him mm-hmm. he mounts skis is mm-hmm. in the shop working on skis his knowledge and anytime he comes in the shop i feel like i can learn something from mm-hmm. him and our employees feel that mm-hmm. he was being interviewed earlier this year i can't remember it was a, a cal poly journalism student i mm-hmm. think wanted to do a little story on mountain air and yep. he was interviewing wayne in the back and it happened to be the time where our employees were getting into the shop to work for the day mm-hmm. and the interview was running a little long so everybody was really quiet but all the employees could listen to wayne yeah. and his responses to yeah, was- this journalist and it was really cool for them to hear his yeah. his story you know mm-hmm. because more a lot of our employees don't know don't 
did not work for Wayne. They, and they don't for grasp Lindsay and I. the, right. the right. importance. And they see right. Wayne come in and know that he's mounting right. skis, but they don't see that connection. Right. And so that was really, really cool to see that. Yeah. But yeah. Wayne's footprints are all over are all the business over. And, and, and our, our lives, lives, really. Mm-hmm. So. He's still like mentor, family. Um, yeah. He'll, and he'll always be that. One of my favorite Wayne stories, just quickly, is yes. when I was when I started there, and I felt inept in my knowledge of gear because I hadn't used it. So I was trying to figure out a way to be a good employee and show mm-hmm. I care. And I offered to clean the bathroom, and he was like, "No." And I said, well, "Please, I, I, you know, because it's like I know how to clean a bathroom. I can, I can do, do this. this really well." And he was like, "No, I clean the bathrooms," and he did. Mm-hmm. He was the he he the owner, the founder. Um, Why is that important to him? Why was it important to him? I, I think Wayne, he, he, whether it was intentional or not, he, he works at the same level and puts in the same effort of his employees. I don't think even Mm -hmm. though he was the boss and the owner and there's clearly a hierarchy, he wanted everybody to see how committed he was. And, and we've learned a lot from that, like coming shoulder to shoulder with your employees and making sure that you know that we're a team and, um, and kind of the whole experience is shared, but he, and he did clean the bathrooms. And so yeah. now when we, I, now when I clean the bathroom or Josh cleans the bathroom, I do always think of him and I feel one, I'm happy I get to clean the bathrooms. Um, <laughs> but two, I just feel like this connection to Wayne and this, um, like sense of, of pride and ownership and mm. yeah. Reminds me of Mike White actually at Boo Boo's. I worked there and he had the same mentality of, you know, we all do this. We all do all of the things. Mike's, yep. Mike's great. Mike's Isn't awesome. he? He's, he's like a beautiful yeah. godfather of retail yeah. downtown. Yeah. It, and there, there's so much truth to that. And I, when, when I hire a new employee, typically we'll do a walk around the building and I always mm. stop at our trash can and our recycling bin outside. But I use it as a metaphor for, listen, we all will empty the trash. We all will break down the recycling. Mm-hmm. We are all this work all equal here, whether you're a 17 year old mm-hmm. Cal Poly student mm-hmm. who, you know, just is getting a part-time job here or you're in your forties and you're just looking for a change yeah. from the tech industry because you, you want something different to do. Yeah. We're all the same. We all wear a, a many hats and nothing's above or below Lindsay or I or anybody. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's an important culture and, and I can see how Mike would be the same way. Totally. It's it's just a sense of appreciation that we all are kind of fingers on this one big yeah hand moving moving through you know totally I mean and and a business is not a family right it's important to keep that distinct that it's not a family Michael Scott said it was a family and everybody was like God no it's not it's not a family but there is this sense of purpose we're steering the ship we're you know swabbing the deck we're doing all of the things because we all want to get there together. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think one way Wayne puts, put it and Josh still puts it is that mountain air is, is, is something that we all work for. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mountain air is not ours. It's not mountain air is this thing that we all are lucky to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so kind of separating, knowing we all have to do what it takes to make sure that mountain air succeeds and keeps moving forward, but it is so much bigger than any one of us. Yeah. And that was definitely you know, the way that Wayne operated as well. Yeah. It, I appreciate that you're like, I didn't do, I don't know all of the bits and pieces about the gear or whatever. I don't, yeah. but Josh, well, so I appreciate that because yeah. I walk in and I don't have a yeah. clue. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's something I want to stress actually for the listeners. You maybe haven't gone into the mountain air because you, you worry that it's like gearheads and you can't, 
get anything for like, it's not a place for you. I would, I would push back against that because you go in there and immediately, I mean, first of all, I'm a clothing person and there's so much good stuff, particularly since you came on lens. I don't there's know. So I think much, Josh has well, always Josh done the buying, but I, I just maybe say yes or no, but yes. Well, and there's more of it. I think yeah. as time goes by yes. so much of the apparel is yeah. so, so wonderful. Um, but there really is something for every kind of person in there, not just, um, not just like hardcore backpackers or whatever. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I would definitely agree with that. I think th- what you're describing is exactly what we try to avoid. And when we are hiring and bringing people on board onto the team, there's consideration for, hey, you, I would rather hire somebody that is gregarious, can approach customers, engage yeah. customers. We like to sell through education of the product, but also just engaging in customer so much more than somebody who has hiked the PCT, mm-hmm. the Pacific Crest Trail, or, you know, is this really avid, hardcore skier. But when it comes to just interacting with a family who wants to come in and do rentals, yeah. they really don't understand those interactions, which are the, those human interactions, which are so important. So mm-hmm. I think we do a good job um, of hiring those uh, hiring, hiring people that, that want to, yeah, yeah, they want, they want to be there and interact with customers and share in stories and, and um, sharing successes. So yeah. another similarity with boo-boos actually yeah. is mm-hmm. nobody walks in. A lot of people walk in, maybe intimidated that it's going to be like the shop in high fidelity where people yell at you if you like, you know, um, Radiohead. <laughs> no, you're actually in good company. If you go in liking Radiohead now, okay. I didn't tell him what I wrote, by the way, he didn't you're see that submission. Me. No, that was just, all right. So let's just, we will ask off top. If, if, there, if there's anything sensitive, not talk about, I said Radiohead and radishes. So you're the only, and Jake noted that both start with R A D I and there must be some kind of a connection there. All right. So I have never, every time I invite somebody to come on the podcast, I always ask, is there something you don't want to talk about? I would say 80% of people don't have anything that say that they're an open book. The other 20%, it's sacrosanct. Like I don't go there. You will be the first that I disregard. I disregard your request to not talk about Radiohead and Radishes. So good. And we will, <laughs> I swear to God, we're going to get to mountaineer and camping and food because that's actually really critical. But um, equally critical is the discussion about radishes. So I'm just going to tell from my perspective a little story about Josh Herring. So we go to this ha- Halloween party that I just, don't you look forward to it? I oh, mean, it's, it's a great, great party. party. It's a great party. Um, costume party, there are prizes, whatever. So I, there's am, a catwalk. I mean, you got to walk a, out and so you have chosen to, music. You it's, have to choose your music yeah. in advance anyway. Um, and it's hosted by somebody who's been on this podcast, Sherry Elliston, who's a registered dietitian, fantastic person. So I don't know. I just, I, I love a crudite platter. I feel like a total asshole saying this now. I love, I love stuff. <laughs> I love like a veggie platter that has maybe like salted butter and I love radishes. Mm -hmm. I love them. Okay. So I'm talking to Josh (laughs) and two other people, I think, or no, I'm talking to a a group of people at this party. I brought this veggie platter. Because there's a big spread. We should point out. I mean, there's a big spread. spread. Yeah. Yeah. And potluck style, right? And Sherry makes most of the food, Mm -hmm. I think, but then she asks people to bring something. So there's all a big potluck. Um, and I'm talking to somebody and we've all been drinking 
And Josh comes up and he goes, oh my God, you guys, would you believe it? Somebody brought radishes to this party. (laughs) And I said, excuse me, it was me. I brought the radishes to this party. And he goes, go, why? Why did you bring them? And he says, come over here. I want to show you something. Go over. And on top of my veggie platter, there's this note that says, radishes at a party, question mark, and then underlined, never again. And I have that note on my fridge (laughs) because, as I've said before, very few people could pull off Mm -hmm. saying, who brings radishes to a party? Going to the trouble of writing a note. Like, I'm sure you had to ask for a pen and paper. Oh, he used the voting paper. Remember, we vote on best costumes. So instead of casting a vote... I I really didn't give it a second He did cast a vote on radishes at a party. (laughs) It was it was later in the evening. I will say the radishes were noticeable because everything else was pretty much eaten. So there was a lot of Listen to you, you know classic <laughs> classic party party food, more more typical party food. It was never an indictment on radishes. It's a fine root or vegetable or whatever but it, was it is. On me. It was on the fact that we were we'd had a few beverages Uh it was a costume party lively good times and then the radishes seemed like a really stark contrast (laughs) to all the other emotions cheesy carbohydrate harvest which is what you want at 11 p.m yeah brownies sure so it was never purely about the radishes i do think radishes is a a, it's it's an interesting choice for a (laughs) halloween costume party (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's brought us Closer in a oh, way, yeah, for in sure. a way that for we never, sure. never would for have been. Sure. So Aww. we yeah. have radishes we do. to thank for that. But, we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. we do. Well, and yeah. then I mean, I need to toot my own horn. I did an amazing job the next oh, day. Amazing. So everybody's hung over. Yep. yep. And um, <laughs> I had this credit with Instacart. It was great. And I told whoever my Instacart person was, I, I said, I want you to send 100 <laughs> radishes to this house, this address right here. Mm-hmm. And um, what was that Instacart driver thinking? I yeah. know. What was that Instacart? Because when it showed up, we happened to be outside and I said, oh, I'm sorry, you have the wrong address. We didn't order anything. Yeah. And he looks at his phone. He goes, no, 1111 Vista del Lago. And I said, I didn't place this order. Is it from someone? And we hadn't seen what was in the bag. And he said, well, let me look and see if I can see who it's from. And at the same time, we look in the bags and they're full of radishes. You didn't even need the note at that no, point. No, no. Um, it, it was great. It was great. And there's radishes on the there table were now. Way I more mean, than 100 radishes in there, too. There, there yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. there were so many. Yeah. I've like never seen so many radishes. Yeah. 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 What do you think when you eat this? It leaves me oh. feeling nothing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. There, there's no high or low. It's just a. The pepperiness? It's just a you don't get excited about that? Not. It's not. Maybe. I've had jicama a few times. It no, reminds me, stop. No, it's I, not the I think same. I might prefer jicama to a radish. You stop that right now. It's got a spice and it's like got a little pepperiness. It. it does. Better flavor. Yeah, jicama is almost nothing. nothing. Jicama does have the same texture mm-hmm. or maybe a little grainier. Mm-hmm. I love that I've got My mom things. used to eat radishes and other veggies too. I've told Lindsay this carrots and, mm-hmm. and she would. She wouldn't do it frequently, but she would pour salt into yes. a little bowl, and then she'd have her few radishes and her 
carrots and just kind of dip into the salt. And I wonder if there's some trauma there with that. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Maybe. I yeah. don't know. Okay. Yeah. So thanks for walking down that with me. Yeah. And it has brought us closer. <laughs> I'm like, great. Uh, okay. So at Mountaineer, one of the things that you, I would say, excel in is you have so much for you know, the car camper for the hardcore backpacker and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always new products out on the market, always, you know, as, as technology um, advances and as people get, I think that our country, if not just the West has become so, so crazy about camping. Um, maybe I'm not stating that right. It's just become so much more adopted as a thing to, I'm not saying it right. Do you see a change over the past, since you've started working at Mountain Air, do you see a change in the way people camp uh, or relate see, to it? We do see a change. I, I mean, I think the pandemic f- sped that up even more. I mm-hmm. think people that were, were campers be, became backpackers or were were mm-hmm. trying to delve into something a little bit more advanced. And then backpackers maybe became more extreme through hikers and people who had never even hiked before mm-hmm. were starting to hike. And so there is some of that backpacking as an industry has certainly increased in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that social media has driven quite a bit of that. In, in what way? In just, just the imagery that people are seeing that they, that they weren't, they didn't have access to before and just seeing mm-hmm, some yeah. of these places in mm-hmm. the back country that are so spectacular, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily just about, you know, posing the, the I know I'm picturing the, the person on the right. rocks. It's really but, just yeah. about the access and how you can, you can get to some places in the back country that are just, just so incredible. So, mm-hmm. uh, I do think that that's probably, probably increased some of the popularity added to that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly technology in our industry is a, is a pretty cool thing. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a constant evolution in certain components of backpacking gear, whether it's water treatment or backpacks yeah. or sleeping bags or sleeping pads or, you know, stoves and how we cook in the backcountry yeah. and things like that. There's so much more knowledge about it mm-hmm. and uh, awareness about how to do back, how, how you can backpack more efficiently and more safer, mm-hmm. you know, more safely and mm-hmm. well, and, and kind of stuff, so. creating things that are lighter Creating right. things that maybe are more, um, I'm thinking about food in particular. Yeah. You know, you talk about, uh, what is it, like freeze-dried ice cream, that kind of stuff. Right. It's oh, not yeah. necessarily great sure. for you. No. So getting into more organic options mm-hmm. and being more sustainable, Yeah, g- open it up. Yeah. So, so Josh I'm, brought a big a bear bin. I brought a bear, uh, bear vault. And oh, what this is, really yeah. Yeah. so these are required yeah. in the backcountry before you pick up your permit in Yosemite, yeah. Sequoia, uh, Kings Canyon. A lot of the national parks in California and and on the East Coast, um, Adirondacks and stuff mm. like that. Basically, this bin is bear proof, so you take it, you put everything in there that has an odor, so food, toothpaste, toothbrush, like deodorant, anything, mm-hmm. and you store it in here. Um, for and the, it kind of looks like a small uh, water jug, like a sparkling yeah, like small water jug. Yeah. And it's got a couple tabs that you have to slide your thumb by. Okay. Bears without the thumb, I guess, aren't able to do it. At least not yet. Um, and then <laughs> We'll I, have some on for the next <laughs> guest. Yes, we'll ask them. So, so, yeah, I filled it with just a few different options of food so that you could read yes. some of these. And Gluten-free, we, pescatarian. This is pad thai. I mean... It, Even yeah. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. who is have, who is has access to pad thai 
um, you know, to-go food. So it, it's just, you just heat water probably, you right? You just heat water. And just, if you read the ingredients on the back, it's this, this particular brand, it's oh yeah. good to go. They, the brand is called good to go. Yeah. And the ingredients are really easy to pronounce and read and yeah. you're aware Rice of. Rice noodles, mm-hmm. carrots, eggs, right. onion. Yep. So this is dehydrated food. And then this is freeze dried food. The dehydrated food is just, just that it's kind of dried over time with a yes. little heat and some air. And then freeze-dried, it's a little bit different process. The freeze-dried food can last up to 30 years, some of it, wow. in packaging. And the dehydrated food is usually about five years. But... Do you know what the process is for um, uh, freeze-dried? Yeah, it's an interesting process. They... Or dehydrated, sorry. Which one? So this is dehydrated. Dehydrated is, dehydrated is simple. It just is time yeah. and, and heat and a little bit of a fan to kind of dry that off. Obviously, it's scaled and it's more industrious. Freeze drying is a process where they they have the food, they make the food, and they they create basically they they blow some sort of cold uh, I don't know if it's a chemical or what what mm-hmm. environment they create to to bring that food below sub freezing. Yes, so it's below freezing, and then they uh, sh- they try to suck out all the moisture. Yeah, and that creates crystal ice crystals, and they yeah. scrape all the ice off, and then. There you go with your freeze-dried food. So freeze-drying is a little bit more intensive from an environmental standpoint. I think it takes a lot – a lot of energy goes into freeze-drying food. But but perhaps actually more nutritionally – you might actually have more active nutrition that way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't – yeah, I don't. But the big thing with backpacking is calories. And Mm -hmm. one of the coolest things about backpacking is you don't have to watch calories at all. I mean you can't eat enough (laughs) backpacking really. So – a lot of these foods, and I, I brought one of these just because it's... Look at this creme brulee mushroom risotto. I mean, this is a different yeah, era. It's a, yep. Th- this is a chicken alfredo pasta, and that package right there is 870 calories. Oh, my word. So that's the type of thing that at the end of the day, end of a long day, if you're yeah. doing the John Muir Trail or you've just done 10, 12, a 15-mile day, that is calories yeah. quickly um, that will help... Amazing. Well, and if you're going to go for calories, do it with an Alfredo pasta. Oh, yeah. Like, please. (laughs) When I, I mean, the food has come so far, but everything always tastes better when you're backpacking, too. Everything tastes better when you're camping or backpacking. It just. You've you've been outdoors. You've worked hard all day. It tastes good. But I do have to say the quality is, it's come so far. This is very different from, you know, the old backpacking, like, just gorp. I just remember eating so so much gorp and being like god please let's eat something real but the fact that you can just heat water so so with heating water i mean what is this little guy here so this is it's a little titanium cook set and the stove it's so tiny so tiny so tiny which is great because you don't want to take up a lot of space with your backpack so stove and titanium so light so light Look at this. It's like this. It looks like a little satellite. Little satellite. And. And a tiny propane. Tiny little, yeah, little butane canister there. Or it's a there. butane. And then. I won't actually fill No, water, it's okay. But, okay. but look how tiny. So I love would, it. And that's your stove. Jet boil. Okay. So I've seen you have, I've seen these in the shop and yeah. never seen one operate. So the yeah. jet boil is, it's actually the fuel canister. And then jet boil makes different types of stoves that are. Uh, very efficient at boiling water. Yeah. This is actually a stove by MSR called the Pocket Rocket. The mm-hmm. Pocket Rocket Deluxe. But 
there's a bunch of these little stoves that are just single burner units. And the point is, hey, let's, you have this small fuel canister, let's burn fuel mm-hmm. uh, as efficiently as possible, mm-hmm. but let's boil water as quickly as possible. So mm-hmm. a lot of these freeze-dried meals are made for 12 or 16 ounces of boiling water. Yeah. And that's it. That's the extent of your back backcountry cooking is mm-hmm. you're going to boil water and you're going to use it in these. Well, and look at the, I mean, this thing is, God, how big is it? Six, seven inches tall. Yeah. Five, four or five inches wide. Um, it does look like a little rocket and the flame is so big. Yeah. So you can do, and titanium is so fast to boil water. So you don't need much more than that. I mean, you how much, how long more. would that last you maybe for this, a, uh, this canister would last you about a half an hour and yeah. probably at, at altitude and elevation, you want to boil things a little bit longer, obviously, yeah. but maybe three minutes totally in average boil. So 10, 10 meals with this or, yeah. you know, five days of coffee and dinner or what, however you want to break it up. Yeah. So well, coffee is a great thing to talk about. It's coffee. <laughs> well, it's so coffee has come so far. It's funny yeah. because I'm actually coming in later, either today or tomorrow to the shop because, um, we're going camping this weekend. So this is very helpful and coffee. I've never quite nailed it. Mm. Um, I always, you know, you guys sell, um, good, um, camping and backpacking French presses, I we think. Do. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I've always done the, that. The AeroPress has become our okay. press of choice. Mm-hmm. At the yeah. Shop, at least. yeah. But when you guys go mm-hmm. camping, do you, you, I would, I would love to go camping with you again to see all oh. the stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. We went camping once together and, um, you guys gave everybody a Lucy light just as like yeah. a, Hey, we're camping. How fun. Yeah. We had those, those first came out crazy yeah. when Lucy, yeah. that was like over 10 years ago, I bet. Yeah. I love yeah. that yeah. little light. Yeah. Um, but where was I going with this? Again, menopause brain, perimenopause brain. Coffee. One thing I remember. We, do, we, Thanks, use, we use instant coffee. We use so you what don't we press sell. Anything. One don't thing I press, remember about no. the Lopez camping trip yes. that we did was lining up in the morning and all the different ways that people were preparing their coffee. Yes. I, yeah. I think that That's right. There were some people who were meticulously weighing yep. uh, before French press. Kino. Were, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, let's just say it. And he had roasted the beans at Yeah, all. exactly. Yeah, he's yeah. To perfection. And, but it's yeah. a good point. Like, we, we talked about this before coming here. You can do as little or as much as you want when you're camping, right? Backpacking's yeah. different. But camping, you can take your food and your coffee to whatever level of gourmet you want. Yes. And that's cool. Yeah. Or you can go super minimalist. And we, Josh and I tend to do that with three kids. And, and I think, like, the food has hmm. evolved and gotten better. So has instant coffee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, gone are the, yeah. the right, Folgers crystals or whatever right. that old stuff was. And yes. Trader Joe's had some stuff for a while, but yep. the, we sell a brand called Alpine Air, which is really Alpine good. Start. Alpine which Start, which I yeah. brought Alpine for Book Club. I've used it and it's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's great. It's great. How much does a little satchel like that cost? I think a dollar twenty nine. Yeah, so it's yeah. totally affordable. Yeah. And yeah. it's teeny, so you it's don't teeny. have to bring the giant mm-hmm. thing. That's right. And those fit great in yeah. some sort of a bear can like mm-hmm. that because they just kind of fit anywhere. Yeah. Take up any little gap. So when you when it comes to something like this, this mm-hmm. chicken Alfredo pasta that you said it's eight hundred seventy calories in this little bag. Right. Um, how much does that cost? That is probably ten of, to yeah. twelve dollars. It's a lot yeah. of calories it's and it's lot. really light. I mean, if you're gonna go backpacking, yeah. you have to spend a little more, I think. Yeah. To get something that's easy to take. Yeah, and, and the taste on a lot of these is so much better than it used to yeah. be. We've there's there we've weeded out any of kind of the bad flavors, but the companies have weeded out a lot of those flavors on their own. The thing is when you're backpacking and if you're at altitude or elevation, you're 
sometimes your body tricks you and decides mm-hmm. you're not as hungry as you think you are. So mm-hmm. uh, these are loaded mm-hmm. with, you know, with sodium, a lot of them, and, yeah. but, but they're so delicious. And yeah. they may say two servings, two serving size on that, but that's really kind of a one person meal and you yes. can eat that whole thing. So, yeah, yeah. that's so, yeah. it's so fun. I mean, kids also love, like my kids love MREs, yeah. which talk about, Oh, <laughs> the, the nutritional value on those things. I mean, they're made for combat, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. that's different, but they love the little packages of things. They love the magic of heating something up like that, you know, self-heating. Yeah. Um, element. Yes. Yeah. But this too, just being able to pour hot water into a packet like this and to eat out of it. I mean, it's like made for, it's kid happy, friendly, all of that. They would love to eat this way every day at home. For sure. sure. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Um, Tell me about uh, one of your favorite meals in terms of going in camping, like not just stuff that you have at the shop, but a favorite meal. I know you have tradition. We, we like that. One of our favorite things is the make ahead breakfast burritos. When we started doing this, it like changed our life for the first morning of camping to make breakfast burritos before we leave the house. So in a couple of days before freeze them. Yeah. So you make a breakfast burrito with whatever you want in there, hash browns, eggs, sausage, bacon, cheese, beans, however you want to make it. You make them a couple days before, even a week before, however, Mm because you're freezing them. Mm -hmm. You wrap them each in foil, write names on it. If it's, you know, people have special, right, right. Um, and then heat them up on the campfire in the morning. It's pretty pretty great. great. It's like really one of our best hacks for sure. Yeah. Um, the make ahead breakfast burritos and they just taste so good. When you say heat them up on the fire in the morning, I'm Mm -hmm. so, I'm just, you know, I'm not practiced at this, but do you mean like if there's a grate over the fire? If there's a grate. If there's a grate. And if there's not, you can do stovetop. I mean, you can take them out of the fire or take them out of the foil and and wrap and heat them on the stovetop. But we almost always are able to have a campfire in the morning Mm -hmm. and use the grate and heat them up that way. It's best in a heavier foil and you can rotate them and move them around and stick stick them near the coals or whatever. Yeah. We have done that for years now and it's it's awesome. I love the minimal. I mean, I don't love like chopping and cooking out in the, isn't that funny? You're shaking your head because I think a lot of people delight in that. They delight in that process. But for me, the make-ahead stuff is yeah. the answer. Yeah. I mean, we make-ahead spaghetti for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, you can throw it in the ice chest. It's all made. It's frozen. And you do have to time out. You know, if you're camping for three or four nights, you kind of have to time out what are you using the first and second yeah. night, what's defrosting in the ice chest. But mm-hmm. yeah, Josh and I aren't huge cookers at home. We don't mm-hmm. love. So mm-hmm. even then camping, we kind of translate to like what's easiest, what's yeah. simplest. Um, because I feel like we wake up with three boys and it's like raring to go and we're out for the day and we're busy and they're playing and that's kind of where our energy goes. Yeah. What's a magical trip that you, what's a camping trip, whether it was just the two of you or as a family that you think back on fondly? We've had a lot of good times in Yosemite with our kids. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's their special place. It's become pretty magical in the Valley. And actually Josh and I had never camped in the Valley together before kids. So our first experience was with our kids Mm -hmm. and we've had some pretty incredible times there, bike riding, Mm -hmm. hiking, and just being in the Valley. pure magic. Pure pure magic. Yeah. It was amazing during COVID or coming off the heels of COVID when, if you were lucky enough to get a reservation to camp, Mm -hmm. the park had limited visitors 
so significantly mm-hmm. that you just felt like you were you were in the valley with with far fewer crowds and, mm-hmm. yes. and more wildlife yeah. way more wildlife. The, it was right? crazy to see like all those things what you, you read about the wildlife returning was true yeah you know like coyotes running down fifth avenue yeah and, bears we saw a bobcat um oh, wow yeah, just a lot more deer and activity. You just felt like there was, you could sense it was, yeah, it was more peaceful for them too. Yeah, I love it. Lulu and I went to Yosemite. I had been when I was like three, I think, or four, so I don't remember much. Um, this was my first time since then. I, as a California, I'm like embarrassed to say I've never been to Tahoe. Yeah, um, it's not. It's it's not it's easy. Not easy though, and which is yeah. It's something that Lindsay and I have talked about. You mean because of reservations? Yeah, yeah the reservations access. Hard. It's insane. And just yeah. access, not just reserving, but I mean that process in and of itself is it's, difficult. It's it's, it so requires difficult. like you know perfect timing and all that. But it's also the knowledge of how do, would you even get a permit if you mm-hmm. wanted to get a permit to camp in Yosemite if mm-hmm. you don't have. The idea of where to start. You can't just log on anytime no. and, and grab a campsite. Mm-hmm. So nope. we camped outside. We got a hip camp because mm-hmm. there was no way we were going to get, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so, so we were, you know, an hour and a half outside of Yosemite and we came in for the day and hung, but we didn't. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, all of it, Tuolumne Meadows, everything was locked down. Right. You couldn't get in. Um, I mean, in terms of getting a reservation. When I used to go to Yosemite before I had ever camped in the valley, and I'd see the valley, the upper pines, lower pines, mm-hmm. north pines, the campgrounds in there, I always thought, oh, who would, yeah, would camp here? It seems so crowded. And mm. just, and then now, over the last five or six years, being on the other side of that, it's just, it's magical to mm-hmm. fall asleep yeah. in the valley, even if you're, you know, just in, in a, in a crowded campground, it's still, there's it's something about beautiful. it that's just incredible. It so. is. It's hard to believe it's real. Um, you ha- Josh, you have a history with your family, I think a strong mm-hmm. history of being in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. What was that like as a kid? I was uh, going to say his Oregon camping was so right. different than California That's right. camping. So different. Yep. Yeah. And I grew up camping every summer in a place called the Metolius river, mm-hmm. um, camp Sherman, Oregon, about 15 miles North of sisters. So, mm-hmm. you know, an hour North of bend right on the Metolius river, fly fishing with my dad and my sister and my mom. And, um, yeah, I grew up going there from the time I was just a few months old. I'm sure, um, my parents, parents took me there when I was a, a little kid. So did they have um, a place there? <clears throat> no, yeah. we just camped. We mm-hmm. camped and it was every summer, like clockwork, at least a week, sometimes two. And I think sometimes when we talk, when Lindsay and I talk about camping with our boys mm-hmm. and I mentioned, yeah, I don't, I don't shower. I never shower camping. I mean, I grew up not yeah. showering camping mm-hmm. for two weeks and maybe yeah. a quick river shower or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Montolius river. I've told people it's where as a small kid, I, I think I realized what color was for the first time. I realized what blue was, what green was, because that's just, that river just framed those colors so well for me. So, and it is a beautiful place. We've taken our boys there. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And I remember telling Lindsay, I, I wanted to keep my tradition alive going to the Metolius and camping on the Metolius river every summer. And it just had become clear that that wasn't always going to be a feasible. Has it grown a lot? Thing. Or like it when hasn't. you go back, it oh. remarkably has not because okay. there's limited limited campsites and there's cabins on one side of the river, kind of old rustic cabins. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just we're not able to make it up there as much as we would like. And so for us, Yosemite has kind of become that Metolius River for our boys, yeah. yeah. You know, for the boys. But there's still there's days where um, I'm somewhere 
whether it's in the pines or where, wherever I happen to be. And I, it's like a scent will move across my nose. Mm. It just reminds me of that stillness mm-hmm. of the metolius and there's nothing else like it in the world mm-hmm. to me still. So if there's a place that I could transport myself whenever I wanted, wherever I wanted, it would be mm-hmm. still that, that exact spot. So, but that you didn't go into, like when you graduated high school, I, I'm pretty sure you didn't have a mind toward owning an outdoor store. No. Where no. Did, you went to I UCLA. Went to U- uh, USC. Oof. Oh, shoot. Got all, all the right. progress you yeah. made oh, on the radishes, like as close as it brought you, you've just, you just took a step back. <laughs> Why a, did I think that? <laughs> So, yes. Because they're both all Southern California, they both start with a U. So, I'm sorry. I did. I went to USC. Um, oh, which is a yeah. far superior Far school. superior. <laughs> far I feel like I was lucky to get in. My timing was right. Um, no, and I don't, wanted to... Don't I, sell yourself no, short. No, tr- truthfully, it was just a... It was kind of my dream school. Yeah. And it just turned out to be... I wanted to get out of Portland and just go go somewhere and and just be in a different town. Why was it your dream school? Uh... USC as a as a brand just always appealed to me. Just through, I'm a big sports fan, yeah. and just like the athletics and and the more I got to know USC, it just seemed awesome to be in the middle of LA and mm-hmm. such a uh, deviation from what a lot of my fr- my best friend in the in the world growing up. Um, Josh also Josh Bookin is his name. He went to a school called Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota, and so I went to USC and he went to Carleton. They couldn't have been any different, like tiny right? liberal arts place or totally, something. Totally, yeah. totally. So yeah. uh, just, but just being able to kind of spread my own wings and be have exposure to something greater and bigger. I cannot uh, I was, picture you in LA. I it's when I fell in love with the desert and mm-hmm. when I got okay. to see mm-hmm. Joshua Tree and I struggled my first year. I really did yeah. wondering kind of where why I was why I was in LA because I didn't have a car. I didn't have a, a girlfriend. I felt really a uh, little bit claustrophobic on campus, mm-hmm. uh, but that, that all changed. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad. I, and he glad still I loves LA. Through. I mean, there is something yeah. going to LA. Guys. It is, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. I when I met him, LA, like I, so natural to me. Cause I grew up easy. kind of with family or friends that were like yeah. LA, you know, kind oh, of down on LA. Here. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then I met Josh and he just, his love for LA I and his LA energy too. when he gets into LA. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, USC takes a lot of shit from people, spoiled children, university, spoiled children, whatever. Yes. But USC has, and has always, from the beginning, held a super important role in the community uh, to which they're a part of. And they are, they, and they've been kind of a magnet for a community which people feel like is run down or dangerous mm. or whatever mm-hmm. preconceived ideas people have. And I've, and to this day, still defend that with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at a place called the Joint Education Project when I was at USC. It was my work study job. And, uh, what we basically did was take curriculum from college courses and translate that into a first through eighth grade level, wherever we were going to teach in a surrounding school mm-hmm. and really that outreach into the neighborhood and the community. But that was a part of USC. I didn't think I'd appreciate and enjoy so much, but I think that's really the first time that I, I understood what an impact a college can make in yeah. a community yes. and how that, um, that relationship is so important. So yeah, it can change the community for sure, for mm-hmm. better or worse, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm proud to be a Trojan. Mm-hmm. Proud yeah. to be a proud Trojan. To... What did you do? Were you education major? I was environmental studies major. Oh, so it, it fit. It fit. It fit. And 
I this it's a long story. I don't want to go too crazy, but I had um, I'd moved around a little bit after USC and ended up in Washington D.C. and what? Yeah, yeah, ended up in Washington D.C. Yeah. with my girlfriend at the time, and it was um, it was a day before the day before nine eleven was the day oh that we moved gosh. to Washington D.C. And we we went to Ikea and bought a bunch of cheap furniture and stayed up late drinking wine and smoking pot and putting our furniture together. And uh, I'd like to see that furniture. Fell asleep asleep at like 3 a.m. and then woke up on 9-11. And you're like, am I hallucinating? And that was was kind of the, whoa, where are we? Where did we move? Why are we here? So any of those job prospects that we thought we had or directions that we wanted to go really tanked tanked and were out the window. So I took a job at a uh, at a re- outdoor retail store called Hudson Trail Outfitters. Mm. They were in uh, Tenley Town, right, um, just by the Tenley Circle in D.C. And I tell people it was uh, similar to meeting Lindsay, but I fell in love with retail like yeah. day one, hour one. It was just awesome. And that yeah. outdoor retail where it's technical, I had always been outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. Amazing gear. It's it's uh, it's tactile. It's technical. You're talking to customers. You're problem solving. No two days are the same. Uh, and I thought, wow, I really, I would like to do this and see where this can take me. So moved to San Luis Obispo a year later. Same girlfriend, not <laughs> not Lindsay. She uh, she she, she <laughs> hey, was not Lindsay. She wanted care. wanted to uh, was trying to get her MBA. Had some stuff to do at Cuesta, some kind of prereq stuff. And her parents had moved to Grover Beach, so moved to San Luis Obispo. So that's how and then yeah, I never had been to San Luis. So many. I feel like a lot of San Luis Obispo stories are went to college here, wanted to stay here. I'd never been here. Neither of you. Stu- well, you- I did go to Cal Poly. Yeah, I didn't graduate from Cal Poly, but I did. I moved here from okay. the Valley to go to Cal Poly. But you, yeah, you graduated Chico, I think. Right? I did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Cal Poly dropout, actually. <laughs> well, isn't that funny? I didn't yeah. go to Poly. Yeah. It's kind of rare to be at a table where three yeah. people didn't graduate from yeah. Poly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that was it. So walked into Mountaineer mm-hmm. Sports. Yes. Mm-hmm. In 2002 and took a job making eight bucks an hour and mm-hmm. uh, mm, stayed there for about a year and a half, then went back to Washington, D.C. to manage their flagship store, which really? uh, they had opened up in the Pentagon Row Shopping Center in Arlington, Virginia. Beautiful, beautiful store, but uh, I had just I had spent too much time with Wayne and spent too much time on the Central Coast and too much time at Mountaineer and just realized that I I that was that felt like home to me and I actually saw Sideways the movie Sideways yes. at the American uh, American City Diner which is on Connecticut Avenue uh, just yeah. south of the Chevy Chase Circle and I watched Sideways there and that was the thing that that forever like switched me back to oh uh flip the switch to come back to the west coast and be See? back in california and it was wine yeah See? Wine. Yeah. yeah yeah so and wayne you know he welcomed me back and yeah. and he always held that over me that i ever left so yeah, yeah of all, course yeah as he should so yeah. but yeah. it all worked out and yeah. um and then so i got back in 2005 yeah and the same year we met yeah, yeah. Crazy. really the same month. yeah and yeah. you and Lindsay, you um, have uh, you say that you guys don't cook at home. It's not like a big part of your lives at mm-hmm. home, but you grew up on with cherry orchards and yeah. My so I was born in Hemet, California, and then moved to Exeter when I was twelve. So wasn't raised in the valley. Moved there because my dad took a job promotion with Edison. He mm. just retired in the fall. Thirty-seven years with the Southern California Edison Company, mm-hmm. but he took a promotion, and it was really hard because we were the first to leave 
both sides of our family and Hemet. Like I grew up with grandparents on both sides, aunts, uncles, cousins, this, this just really tight knit unit. And we were the first to move four and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the silver lining was that it bonded our family. Like our nuclear family got really close because of that experience. It was really hard on all of us. And um, so we lived for the first couple of years in a rental to figure out where we wanted to be in this small town. And then my dad and mom bought five acres and, yeah, my dad has always his his roots are in North Dakota and a big, uh, huge farming operation in North Dakota where um, my grandma was raised, eight kids, they had dairy cows, and so it's kind of in his blood. Um, and he planted five hundred cherry trees, and that was his hobby, which. It's the most labor intensive. I'm like, some people do yoga. Some people hike. My dad farmed. Ham Um, radios. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I did. We, I will say like, cause I think the first crop was probably harvested when I was 20. Um, Mm. And we had like over a decade, 15 years of amazing experience, Mm. you know, with the harvest and just watching the the cycle of fruit and the amount of time and energy that goes into our food. And Mm -hmm. I will never, even though Josh and I, and we do, we're just, we're not gourmet cooks, but we try to cook fresh and eat pretty fresh, but I will, like, we don't take food for granted at all. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, like we get the tally box every other week and you just look in there and you know what has gone into this and the amount of heart and hard work and, um, from the planting to the packing. For every single stage and how many people are involved at every single stage. But, but seeing my dad, it, you could walk the orchard with him and he was aware of every tree and what it needed. Mm -hmm. And he was so gentle with the soil, like even picking weeds. It wasn't this, um, it was a a really meticulous activity because he didn't want to disturb the soil more than he needed to. It's not just like a blunt. No. Yeah. Everything was just so much care Mm -hmm. and, and thought and energy. And so we see that in our food for sure. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's wonderful. I, I mean, so finding like that, that passion, I mean, I would bring it back to Josh. Like I, he's still in retail. That's what he brings every day. Yeah. Um, he oh, would be, it. he would yeah. be on the floor all day, every day if he could, you know, there's a lot more to running a business behind the scenes that he's doing, yes. but he would be on the floor all day, every day. And that, you know, inspires all of us around him too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One question before final question. Oh, you guys, I could talk to you forever. Uh, Josh, if you're comfortable talking about it, you spent, wasn't there a story about you and Yvonne Chouinard? Like, <laughs> are you allowed to say that? Oh, sure. Yeah, I don't think it's a... Yeah. Wasn't there, so you stayed, oh, so the, oh, the yeah. founder of Patagonia. Patagonia used to run these camps that they called dealer camps, and they would invite certain dealers to come do any number of really cool things, fly fishing, uh, or I once climbed in Tuolumne Meadows, uh, with a group with Lynn Hill and Mm. Dean Potter and just these amazing climbers. Um, and in 2006, they had a a dealer camp that was intended to, uh, climb in the Grand Tetons Mm -hmm. to, to, to climb the Grand. So I went out there and, um, are you a big climber? I used to climb quite a bit more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, we don't climb really anymore. Mm-hmm. It w- I would love to get back into it with yeah. the boys, you know, time allows and all that. But, um, we, what was a couple cool things? I, I don't want to take too long, but a couple cool things about it that I'll never forget. One is climbing, uh, and actually being stuck in Salt Lake airport, uh, mm-hmm. with Dean Potter and his uh, wife or partner at the time, Steph Davis. 
And I don't know if you know Dean Potter, but he was an incredible climber um, ahead of his ahead of his time. And he uh, he passed away a couple years ago, base jumping in Yosemite. Of course, I know who he is. Yes. Yep. Okay. And, sorry. And he, that's, no. Yeah. And he uh, so he and I and Steph shared a rental car from Twin Falls, Idaho, to Jackson Hole. So having that time with him. And then when we finally climbed the Grand, being able to climb the Grand Teton, and then at one point I looked at my guide and was like, can I just climb with Dean? So Dean and I summiting the Grand together, and he had never climbed in the Tetons at all. So that was cool. That was a cool little side note. But then after that, so after we had climbed the Grand, we were, uh, we were, you know, we we drove down and uh, ended up in Yvonne Chouinard's house just outside of Jackson. Yes. And driving up to his house and seeing he had... um, like an old Toyota, like an old Toyota Tercel hatchback, yeah. like late seventies, yeah. all wheel drive. It just it was a very, very cool car. I noticed it right away. Like that, that's cool that that's like his his car yes. here right now, and 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 just entering his his house and his cabin, and um, and then you know meeting Yvonne and his wife, and really realizing to me that um, meeting him was was like finding out that Santa Claus is Israel is and we just had kind of forgotten it. Uh, so Yvonne to me was and is the real deal. Uh, he actually re- received a copy that day of let my people go surfing his first copy. So he read to us, oh, uh, which was really, gosh, really cool. Yeah. Uh, it read, is like going to the North pole read out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and other, a couple other details about his house is that we were all sitting on this really cool rug, drinking wine and having yeah. fun and, uh, I, I snuck off to kind of check out his house and there was a list on the wall of all of the items and the order to take the items. If there ever was a, a fire yeah. in the house and the first one was the rug that we were all on, you know, and I just, I just thought that's really cool. This, yeah. this rug means so much more to him and mm-hmm. so many different ways, probably from, um, the inception of the rug and who made the rug all yeah. the way up to who's been on the rug drinking wine with with the, the Chenards, but, um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, obviously been a visionary and definitely yes. is up on kind of the, the, one of the, the pedestals, you know, I think yeah. he's, conf- I think there's some, he's probably conflicted. I oftentimes wonder mm-hmm. about, you know, how big he thought this whole thing was going to get mm-hmm. in right. the, the, the consumerism part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but I don't think it was, uh, he sure works to offset that though. He, sure he does. does. He sure yeah. does. And I think that he, probably feels like, um, and we've seen the company make decisions when it's not, when it's not aligned with their values. Like they, they also are who they say they are. And absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, at some point I, you know, I'm dying to get him on here to talk about, because food and wine is a huge thing for Mm -hmm. him too. Um, but another time. Yeah. The Patagonia provision side, we've, we've dabbled, dabbled in that. And that's a really, uh, it's neat to be Patagonia. (laughs) It's, when you're a front runner, I like they are a leader. You should lead from the front. Also, like you have an obligation to continue yeah. to lead and to push and to do things, and that's what Patagonia has always been good at mm-hmm. is is pushing the envelope and continuing to pull people up and trying to look at everybody else and say we all have to do this better, yep. you know, and yeah. not just being content with their status of mm. of uh, kind of the industry leader. So right, yeah. okay. So that sounds like a pretty magical evening. (laughs) But if you both, let's say you both knew that you were going to die together. Mm. Okay, that's it gets weird here. No, I 
as long as the kids are okay, I'm, I'm the good kids with are gonna that. be fine. Yeah, the kids are okay. Okay, let's just let's just think about you guys. So, okay. if it was your last evening together, what are you eating? What are you drinking? And who's there? Oh my gosh! And you could be kind of anywhere. You could be if you wanted to be in Yosemite. You know? Yeah. Well, all I would probably a sunset hike with like a deli sandwich and a real hoppy IPA. I would, I would do, um, I'd go out, I'd want to hike on my last day Mm -hmm. for sure. And there isn't, there isn't anything quite like eating a a real good deli sandwich. I know you're a high street person. I am. Or Lincoln. No, I I know. We are blessed. Gosh, we have so (laughs) many, we are blessed. So many deli options. Yeah. But what's the sandwich at high street that you get? Oh, I love the mother Mother, earth. Love the mother. It's vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was vegetarian for 14 years. I I didn't tell the rib story another time. Another time. Um, (laughs) I'm back. I'm back though. I do love bacon again. Um, the West coast hogue I was just introduced to. I had it recently. It's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then I would probably eat carrot cake in bed with Josh. Like, Mm. um, you know, but people there, I mean, my family, um, my family. Carrot cake. Yeah, Josh. that's the so title of used, your memoir. We yeah, used to, we used to we, do that. We did yeah. before yeah. kids, yeah. and when we want to like, if there's a night where there's not kids around or we're on a getaway, it's like eat cheesecake or carrot cake in bed. Like there's yeah. just something it's so. <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> know if it's hot or if it's just incre- it's comfortable and delicious. It feels but good. It feels, feels good. good. Yeah, yeah, right. Good, Josh. It's, what's yours? That's hard to beat. I mean, with you, that's hard to beat. I think uh, anything, anything with you, but I would rather be. I would rather be out. I would rather be in the back country. I think mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. would be would be where I call it quits. And uh, wine sounds great. Um, mm. I also think cutting open uh, and cleaning a fresh fresh trout, or you know, just just something like that with a little risotto. This seriously, this, yes. this risotto right here is incredible. The mushroom risotto. made by Good to Go. Made by Good to Go. Yep. And a little bit of wine or usually mm. it's whiskey in the back country because mm. it's easier to mm-hmm. transport a mm-hmm. yes uh, <laughs> that sounds good trying to get your abv yeah volume right. wise it's more but it would be somewhere and it would be that alpenglow sky mm-hmm. or that alpenglow light on you know some granite face somewhere as kind of the mm-hmm. sunsets and yeah and there just happens to be a deli back there happens and they're gonna to, happens and it's gonna be a great stando. world yeah this is great it. okay yeah country deli <laughs> I yeah, love it. So. You know I love you guys. Thank yeah. you for coming love you, over. Thank, Thank you so much. You. It's it really fun. Thanks for carving time out of your day to listen to Consume. If you like what you hear, it always helps if you rate and subscribe to the feed. To learn more about my guests, see their photos, and connect with them via their website or social media, visit letsgetconsumed.com. You'll also find a newsletter sign up if you want to visit for me in your inbox every now and again. Until then, I'm Jamie Lewis. Cheers.